Let's read Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 25, verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them, those who fear him, he makes known to them his covenant. Father, we thank you for this um, wonderful time together, to be in your house and to, Lord, to just be present in your house and to allow your spirit to just minister to us. I pray, Father, that you will bless this word to our hearts, that we will grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you will increase our appetite for the word of God. So when we go home from our study or from another day that comes, that we could be good students of this wonderful text that you speak to us, that we will not forget what this word tells us and allow other things of this world to take us away increase the beautification of Jesus Christ. So God, pray that even as we speak your word, as we, as we bring truth, may you use us, Lord, to whet the appetite of your people for more of your word. Not to say different things. Not to say, well, I've heard this a thousand times. No. But that you will make it new and fresh in our hearts and minds. And so deepen in us, Lord, deepen in us an appetite for your word, an appetite to obey your word. Bless us this morning as we look, continue to look at this covenant relationship. Lord, thank you for the covenant that God has. Thank you for how the Holy Spirit promised to strengthen our hearts and minds. Amen. So David confesses that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is his shepherd. And David confesses this because he understands something of the implications of the covenant the covenant something that God is doing in, in David's life in Psalm 23 Psalm 23 is just really a wonderful um, implication and expression of this covenant that God is establishing with his people and David has come into a just greater awareness so David's claim is grounded, David's claim is grounded in this, the covenant implications of Yahweh, the name Yahweh, right? Yahweh, uh, on that day, Genesis 15, 8, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land and the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. So the name Yahweh is going to stress, Yahweh, God's name in the Old Testament, is going to stress God's absolute faithfulness to keep covenant. You know, we see that in Deuteronomy 7, 9, Deuteronomy 7, 9, know therefore that the Lord, Yahweh, your God, is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant. That's, that's what the name 
So if you're going to deal in the Old Testament, when you're going to start, when you look at the names of God, which are very important for us to know the names of God, because they reveal something of the character of God. They reveal something of the purposes of God. So the first thing you need to know is that the name Yahweh is God who keeps covenant. Now, some of us say, well, what, who cares? Whatever. Yes, right? Keeps covenant. Covenant, whatever. <laughs> and we have this attitude that we don't really care that much. But I, I want to encourage you that that's a meaningful that's a meaningful characteristic of God. He's the God who keeps covenant. He keeps it. And you, we have to figure out why he keeps it. Why is it important? We need to figure all that out, right? You know, uh, and so, so this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to understand this God who keeps covenant and what implications it has for you and for me and for my life and the, for the way I live my life today. And it has a lot of implications for the way we live, right? So God's, now God's absolute faithfulness to keep covenant, I'll tell you one thing it'll do. It raises the priority, raises the importance and the priority of the covenant promises of God. If God keeps covenant and the covenant has promises, right, and it, and it has promises, right, then God, th- th- this is going to raise, it's going to raise the importance of the covenant promises of God. Amen? Uh, with Jesus Christ to confirm. Jesus Christ came not only to die on the cross. Jesus Christ came not only to pay the penalty of your sin. Jesus Christ came not only to save you from the wrath of God. Jesus Christ came to actually confirm the promises, the covenant promises of God. Look at Romans 15.8. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's faithfulness. The same word there, truthfulness. In order to confirm the promises. So whatever you think about Jesus coming, yes, he came to die for you. Yes, he came to deliver you from the wrath of God. But you you have to accommodate another thing. He came to confirm the promises of God in in the Old Testament, all of them. Right? came to confirm this that was given to the patriarchs. So the covenant promises of God are going to play an important role in your life and my life. The covenant promises of God are going to play a vital role. You're going to have to engage with the covenant. You, you would rather be out of sight, out of mind. Some people say, like, I don't want to deal with that. I got my own problems. No, I, I got problems. Covenant promises, I, I'm not dealing with that. Give me a couple more years. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> and um, no, the covenant promises of God are essential to your Christian life. The moment you put aside the covenant promises of God, the moment you put aside your a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. God is calling us to engage with the promises of God by faith. God is calling. God is not going to accept. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you, and, and the covenant promises of God are there to, to engage our faith, to give us something to go after, to give us something where God wants to prove his faithfulness, right, to keep the promises for, on your behalf, right? Otherwise, if you remove the promises of God out of your lives, God cannot reveal his faithfulness to you. So we've got to recover a hunger to see the promises of God really fulfilled in our lives. Little by little. It all come all at once. It's little by little. God wants us to lay hold of the promises of God. I want you this year, this year, lay hold. Maybe last year. 
it was like, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> it really was not that important in my life. But I'm, I'm stirring you up to lay hold of the promises of God in Christ Jesus, right? And we see that in 2 Peter, the importance, the importance of these promises. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, look how important the promises of God are. This is how important it is. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How many things have God uh, granted to us? How many things? All things that pertain to life and God. Everything that's good, beautiful, magnificent, wonderful, God has already granted to you. Not he will grant it to you when you get to heaven. When you think, walking in, then I will receive my inheritance. No, 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 no. it's already done. <laughs> I'm telling you. God has already granted them to you. They are yours. They have your name on it. Property of, right, put your name on it. They are yours. He's granted, not will grant. He will one day. No, he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So look at your life now. How many of you need life and godliness? Right? <laughs> right? I need, I need two hands. I need more than all of you. Right? <laughs> I need life and godliness. Guess what? The, here's the glorious thing. God has already given it to you. God has already given it to you. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, he's given us, this is the means by which he gained access to this life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Of God, who calls us to his own glory and excellence. So there's a knowledge of God that we have to recognize. The knowledge of God is the instrument. It is the um, your debit card pin number. Okay? Debit card pin number. You can have a million dollars, but you have a debit card. But if you don't know the pin number, you have a nice card, but it's not a nice card. <laughs> you don't have the pin number. The knowledge of God is the pin number. Through him, through the knowledge of him who called us his own glory, by which he has granted to us his great, very precious and very great promise. So that, so that, underline those two words, so that through them, the promises, you may become partakers of what? What, what are you going to become partakers of? Amazon Prime? What are you going to become partakers of? Uh, Disney Plus Pass? No. Divine nature. Divine nature. Through the promises of God, through them, you become partakers. You share in. Koinonia, you, you, there's a fellowship. There is a sharing together with the divine. What's divine means? What does the word divine mean? What does it refer to? Divine. God. God's nature. Through the promises of God, you share in God's perfect nature. Peter says it. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. That's why I want to encourage you. The promises of God are so important. So, so when God establishes his covenant with his people, he always does two things. First of all, right, God establishes a covenant relationship with his people. Right? Secondly, when God pledges a covenant promise. So he establishes a covenant relationship. And then in that relationship, he gives you a promise. 
this is what I want. And that's intention. That's intention. So then that raised the question, what kind of relationship does the covenant with God The Lord really led me to really address some of us have a relationship with God that needs to grow and needs to grow more. But grow in what direction? And so I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to really stress the kind of relationship that the covenant establishes. Right? The kind of relationship that the covenant establishes is established at the very beginning with Adam. But this is all, goes all the way back to Adam. In Hosea 6-7, the Lord says, But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. So you can see that Adam, Adam's relationship with God was covenantal. There was this contract, there was this agreement that established the rules of engagement of their relationship. It was because God says in Hosea, just like Adam, you know, Israel has transgressed the covenant. In other words, Adam transgressed the covenant. And the way he did it is he says, there they dealt faithlessly with me. They dealt faithlessly with me. So right there, that word really opens up a wonderful, wonderful understanding that the the kind of relationship that the Lord establishes with us covenantally, listen up very good, because I think a lot of people just maybe don't understand and that's why they never go anywhere with God. They, the relationship with the Lord stays the same year after year. Nothing changes. And that's because you approach it probably the wrong way. The kind of relationship that the covenant that God establishes with his people is an exclusive love relationship. Exclusive love. That's those two words. It's not just a love relationship. It's exclusive love relationship with God of the highest order, right? The covenant relationship with Adam will set the tone. And and we have an idea of that tone when the Lord says, like Adam, they dealt faithlessly with me. That word faithlessly is only used in the context of one kind of relationship. It is only used in the context of marriage. Malachi 2.14, Malachi 2.14. This is how this word is used in the Bible. But you say, why does, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by how? It is a word that really expresses marital unfaithfulness. Be faithless. God wants us to be in an exclusive love relationship with him. And none of us fully grasp the totality of that. Let's just be honest. None of us do. I don't know about you, but I've been surprised when the Lord says, no, I don't want you to do that. I said, why? What's wrong with that? And he says, because you're mine. <laughs> okay. It's not about, am I doing a bad thing? So many of us live like, 
how many bad things, how close can I get to doing something bad that doesn't that, that the Lord is not pleased? No, it's not, it's not about eliminating bad things. It's about loving Christ exclusively. And so the Lord calls upon us a love that is exclusive so that little by little throughout your life, he will remove things out of your life that compete with his love for him. Right? He will, and if you have not seen that side of the Lord's relationship with you, you have not begun to walk with God. Utterly jealous. Flamingly jealous. <laughs> I'm so glad I learned that year. I learned that when I was young. And you know, that I, I shared that experience with you what happened to me at my, my karaoke thing. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna share it. But that it was like, okay, that set the tone. He is jealous. He is jealous over you. He's jealous over me. He's jealous how you spend your time. He's jealous what you give your heart to. He's jealous over the things that what occupies your mind. He is jealous over that. Is it is it the vaccine? Mask? Is it the politics? Conservative? Liberal? <laughs> is, is it just all that junk, right? So so he's jealous over the way we right, our hearts has to be this love affair with Jesus Christ. And if you've not been in love, then you know, and I'm some of you maybe have never been in love, but love is an, an, an intoxicating force. You think about that person when you're eating. You think about the person when you're brushing your teeth. You think about that person. Amen. Right? <laughs> when I fell in love with Laura, it was like, right? I think I thought about her everywhere. Even when I stopped thinking, there was, there was a thought. <laughs> right? You can't stop it. It's, an, um, it's a powerful force. Well, you cannot stop thinking about the one whom you love. That's what the Lord is after. Amen? Why is, why is there so much apathy? Why is there so much indifference? How about that? We need to we need to ask God, uh, restore these affections. And so, we're going to continue to look at, you know, covenant relationship with the exclusive love affair between God and his people. You know, um, and, I, and I told you that the word relational can be a misleading term because there are many kinds of relationships. You can have a relationship with your landlord, your tenant. You can have a relationship with your dad. You can have a relationship with your sister. You can have, but, but the love relationship is unique. And so, and I'm, I'm stressing this because it is only this covenant love with Jesus Christ that will truly satisfy you. I know that's hard to think. No man will ever satisfy you. No woman will ever satisfy you. Only this covenant love with Jesus Christ will satisfy you. And it's amazing. That love is so beautiful, so satisfying, yet we go after other things to complete it. The love and all the other things. You know, and, um, and so I want to encourage you that God has a place for you. So I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue to consider this um, kind of relationship. I want to continue to really, 
encourage us with an exclusive love relationship with Jesus Christ. So that 2022, you can, you, you can sense that, that by the power of the Spirit of God, your affection for God grows. You'll, you'll grow in your own way. It won't look like me. It won't look like someone else. It won't look like it's going to be your wonderful, unique um, fingerprint of love. It will be love. And there will be evidence of love. <laughs> now, everybody, the many people have fallen in love, and they all have a different way of doing it, but one thing, one thing they all have in common is evidence. It becomes evidence whoever's in the house, this person's a lot. <laughs> right? One person can't eat. That was never my problem. <laughs> I could eat. You know, <laughs> I could eat. You know, um, but staying up at night, thinking, yeah, that was good. Spending time on the phone for 16 hours nonstop. And so everybody's going to have a different, different blueprint, but there will be evidence. Love will be evidence. Amen? So I'm going to continue to look at this relationship with our Lord. I'm going to go to Ezekiel 16. We're going to look at Ezekiel 16 for several weeks, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really lay some groundwork. How do you, what's the Lord's strategy when you've lost your first love? When your heart is cold. When your heart is indifferent. And you don't feel any affection from God. And you have, and as a result, you have gone up after other idols. You have filled your heart with other things because we all look for love. But if you don't find it in God, you won't find it in heaven. Guaranteed. Impossible to not fill your life with some love aspect. That's just the way we're wired. If it's not God, it'll be something else. So if you're not in love with Christ today, your heart's not thirsting, I guarantee you 100% you're in love with something else. You're in love with jobs, you're in love with money, you're in love with whatever. Computers, technology, whatever it is, crap, dust, <laughs> I don't care. It, it's something. There's something that has gripped our hearts, right? And so, so we have to first, you know, so the question is, when we find ourselves without this affection for Christ, for Christ without an exclusive love relationship, how does God bring us back? What's God's strategy? What is one of the things that he does? To begin to draw us back, to begin to put make put sense back to us. You know, I said the prodigal son, he came to his senses. Right? He came to his senses. And so, how do we come to our affectionate sense senses for Christ? How do we come to our senses of exclusive love? Right? I believe so many people today have lost their first love by by the bucket load. I think all of us have been affected by the pressures of life, by the, all of this stuff, you know. I mean, we, I feel it. You, I know you feel it. We all feel squeezed. And, and some of us say we have very little to offer God in terms of our affection, in terms of our love, right? And, and, we, we, have, and we have to be intentional about pursuing a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if we're not intentional, if you think it's just going to happen, it ain't going to happen. You've got you to ask God for wisdom. 
God, I want to take time out. And there are little things that God just requires us to do just to, to, to stir up the affections of Jesus Christ. And may the Lord help us this year, all of us together, including myself, may the Lord help us to fall more in love with Jesus Christ. Amen? That would be beautiful to have a, imagine a church where 60, 70% are in love with Jesus Christ. That would be amazing. Can't believe I come to church. Let me check the box. For the first time, someone falls in love with Jesus Christ. They're annoying. Like, hey, man, you're, you're too loud. You're too this. You're too loud. Right? They get annoyed by the people who are, who are really in love with Christ. Right? So we don't want to become like that. We want to, we want to ask God, deepen in us, deepen in us a love that is so real, authentic, and it's just like the world says, like, that's now, now I'm starting to see something a little bit of what the Bible talks about. Wouldn't that be wonderful? To be able to have a testimony. And so I'm asking God to do that. So how does the Lord bring us, how does the Lord start to bring us back? And I hope this has been encouraging. If you find yourself dead, you know, we can become spiritually dead. It doesn't mean that you're dead. It just means there's nothing there. You got problems. Right? That happens to all of us. You feel like, I can't even, I can't even think of talk. I can't even how, do you, how does the Lord bring you back? I mean, Jesus is king. Look, 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 at, look what they do. And this passage will also help us to see the covenant relationship with the Lord. And the word of the Lord came, came to me. By Ezekiel, son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut. You were you were, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you to rub your flesh with rags to swaddle yourself. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you. I was of compassion for you, but you were cast out and broken. For you were abhorred on the day you were born. Wow. So it's kind of, kind of like, all right. Well, um, the Lord is uh, is bringing this to Jerusalem. It's kind of like a color covenant lawsuit. God is approaching his people, and he, a lawsuit. You know, it's like a law. You know, the lawsuit. You know, they take charge in court and say, "Hey, I, you haven't been faithful to keep your end of the bargain. You've broken covenant. It's like a covenant lawsuit." Son of man, make known to Jerusalem, verse two, her abominations. Whoa, stop, boom, wait a minute, time out. Abominations, God. I mean, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. The word is a strong word in the Hebrew. Um, it describes divine disgust. God is disgusted. It's like there's no other word. This is a there. There is no greater word in the Bible that describes um, God's anger. God, like uh, uh, the word is about disgust. So there, there's there's no other word that's greater than that. It's a word that is um. Primarily, primarily um, uh, described in the context, you know, if you read Leviticus, it's a word that is used primarily in the context of sexual perversion. 
that you know some of you you know we live in a, we we live in a culture that is flooded in sexually perverted sexual deviant behavior of unparalleled um, kind. Well, the the word abomination, quoting here, um, the word is applied to homosexuality. Right, saying Leviticus eighteen twenty two, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. Right? Very clear. Now don't let anybody tell you, oh, you shall not lie. Doesn't mean to not tell the truth. It means to be in bed with a male, a man, in the same way with a woman. Right? Um, it. Now notice that word. It is what? We could say it. Abomination. I mean, people go to the TV and it's like, you ask your pastor, hey, uh, what is, what is um, homosexuality? I was on TV, I'm saying, it's, it's an abomination. <laughs> say it, say it, say it. It's okay to say it. It's an abomination. I, I'm not, I, it's, not because I, I, it's not because I say it, because God says it. And it's amazing how people say, well, you know, here's what, here's what, here's how you can discern when a pastor has fallen from grace. Sir, what is, what's your opinion of homosexuality? If he says, well, you know, smoking crack is also bad for you. He's fallen from grace. You know what he's doing? What is he doing? He's not answering the question. He's avoiding it. Don't ever do that. They ask you a question, just answer the question. An abomination before God. Of course, not to me, to God. You and I don't matter. <laughs> what matters is it's an abomination. So, so the word abomination is tied to um, homosexuality. It's also secondly tied to transgenderism. Some of you may not know this, but the Bible talks about transgenderism. Go to De- Deuteronomy 22.5. You may not know this fact. A woman shall not wear a man's garment. Now, the, the idea of dress is identity. So don't, don't, don't think just garment, physical clothing. It's identity. A woman shall not wear a man's garment. A woman should not put on a man's identity. So garments in the Bible, whenever you read garments, and theologically, whenever you look at garments in the Bible, and women put on garments of praise, right? It's a new identity. It's a new new place, right? So, um, so a woman should not wear. Many of you people, people, plenty of theologians. Oh, don't wear men's. How many members of this church where you are not allow women were not allowed to wear men's pants, right? I went to one like that. Nobody else. Women were not allowed to wear men's clothing. That's not what the Bible. That's not what the Bible is. That's not what this man says. It, 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 you know, and it's like, no, it means something more profound. But right, it, 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 and then I one day, thank God, I, I said, I think this is what men said. A woman puts her pants, pants, takes it off, she stops shaking. Puts it on, she's shaking. Takes it off, she stops. It's just, it's just didn't make sense. It just no, no, no. I said, no, that's, that's that's legalism. What does it really mean? Well, it means that a woman shall not take on the identity of a man. Um, and nor shall a man take on the identity of a woman. Now, this verse is absolutely different. For whoever does these things, what's the difference? Look at the text again. It. Homosexual, it. The act is an abomination. Transgenderism is different. I'm 
just bring this up because a lot of confusion in our society, right? And, and you guys should not be confused because it's like weird light and stuff. Dang. So, but the word is being used. The word is in weakness. It's used in strength. That's what it's talking about. Weak in your mind. Weakness. As good as weakness. Son of man, make known to me the wisdom of God. Son of God. That's why we are not to be How can God pay for the shots we just took? I think to answer this question, we have to understand the nature of the covenant relationship that we're in. The Lord won't save his church point by point. Right? But he will what? He will save his church. And at the end, as far as God is concerned, whether we agree with it or not, right? I may not, I may not agree with it, you may not agree with it, but as far as God's concerned, make known to us about the nations, we're not going to agree. But here's what the Lord begins to say. So, but understand that um, understand that um, God right is 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 still the God of His people, and although He has come, He's coming with restoration. I believe in that. And notice what the Lord does. He has come. He's not making known to Jerusalem her about in order to just make us feel bad. The Lord never does that. The Lord never comes to you to make you feel bad. There you go. You feel bad. Great. Now, now feel good because you feel bad. God never does that. Every time the Lord comes to rebuke us, every time the Lord comes to correct us, it's because he loves us. It's because he wants to restore us. It's because he has great purposes for us. Amen? So, so we have to look at these, these rebukes and not be afraid of them, but see them as evidence, great evidence of God's care and love for his people. Great evidence. Because he doesn't do that with the, with the pagans. He, he lets them do whatever they want. You rather be like that? No. I'd rather God rebuke me. I'd rather God correct me. I'd rather God come to me. Amen? I want to be restored. So whatever he does, it's okay with me. So notice what the Lord begins to do. He reminds the people of their past. God wants to restore his people. You know what he does? What's the first thing he does? He doesn't start with, look all the stuff I've done for you. No, 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 no. He doesn't start there. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to take you back farther. I'm going to remind you of something. Amen? Look at verse 3. Look what the Lord reminds them. This is the first thing the Lord does. This is, this is his strategy to bring his people back into love, to bring his people back to love him, right? This, this is what he's going to do. He says, hey, buddy, my, my wonderful child, Jerusalem, your origins and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was a Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Huh? Right? He reminds Jerusalem, he reminds his people, you've left me. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna recover you. I'm gonna restore you. I'm gonna do it. But, but I'm gonna begin by reminding you. I'm, I'm gonna remind you where you came from. Man, if we, I, I mean, if we were, if we were to not forget where we came from, we would come in here. <laughs> praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! <laughs> praise the Lord! Right, right. But, but we forget, and we come in like this, you know. 
We forget. We forget where we came from. See, the Lord is reminding Israel of their ancestors, Abraham's roots. Abraham's roots are not Jewish. <laughs> in the land of the children of Israel. No, Abraham's roots are in the Ur of the Chaldeans. Nehemiah 9.7, look at Nehemiah 9.7. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. Who are the Chaldeans? Does anyone know who are the Chaldeans? They appear in the book of Revelation. Both, they appear in both. The Chaldeans. Babylon. Babylonians. They come from the, his, his roots are in Babylon. Babylonians. Who are the Babylonians? Theologically speaking, not just historically, who are the Babylonians? They are the ones who oppose God's people. They appear in the Old Testament and they appear in the book of Revelation and God's going to destroy them. Remember Babylon, who, 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 who fornicated with all the kings of the earth, right? Babylon is this theological idea that appears, emerges out of the Bible, right? That is really hostile to God, very rebellious, very prideful, right? So God is saying, hey, um, that you came out of the Babylonians. Your roots are in Babylon, bud. Ezekiel's making a strong point here. The land of the Canaanites. Oh, right? Right? Your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. That's the land where you came from. The land of the Canaanites. What is the land of the Canaanites? The land of the Canaanites, well, historically speaking, right? Uh, well, let, let's look at some context here, right? They're going to represent human depravity at its worst, right? G Genesis 9.22, Genesis 9.22 and 25, uh, who's Canaan? Well, we, we know who Canaan is, right? He's um, the son of Ham. Remember that name, Ham. So Ham, right? The son of Noah. And Ham, the father of Canaan. Now, don't. Those are very, very important phrases in the Bible. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and called his brothers outside. Now, that word, saw the nakedness, there are a lot of scholars that have believed that this is more than just he saw his father without clothes. But that there was a sexually deviant thing going on between his Phrase saw their nakedness. It will be a euphemism, especially in the Old Testament, and we'll bring that out later more, that has connotations of sexual immorality. That this is not not just an issue of again of him seeing Noah. I believe that when you look at the Bible, you look at the saw, saw nakedness in the Bible, you have good reasons to believe that this was something going on here. And then the other thing is that what happened to Canaan. So, Ham the father saw the nakedness of his father, called his brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took their garments, laid on both their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. 
their faith was turned backward. They did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger sons had done to him. You see that? Something that Ham did to Noah. He said, curse be Canaan. God put a curse on Canaan. But this curse, interesting, this curse, Canaan, was similar to the actions of Ham. So if Ham stole some popcorn, the sons of Canaan would do what? Steal popcorn. The curse was like the actions. The Canaanites would become the most sexually deviant society on the face of the earth. I don't think that's a coincidence. They will become the most sexually deviant. They will be the most sexually immoral society in the ancient world. I I believe it has its roots in what Ham did to the father. He, He got cursed. And it is for that reason, this sexual deviant corruption of sexual immorality, that when Israel, right, look at how look how look how much God, right, look at Deuteronomy chapter seven, Deuteronomy chapter seven. This is a fierce command of God against the Canaanites. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, what land? The land of Canaan that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, guess who's there? Who, who's, um, who's, who's, whose mother is that? According to Ezekiel six, 16? Right? Is it, right? Your mother, the Hittites. The Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites. Who is that? Who's Amorites in Ezekiel 16? The father. The Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven more nations mightier than you. And when the Lord did not give them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. Complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. This is how, this is how much God speaks about sexual immorality, sexual perversion. Right, homosexuality. Those are those are these are abominations that he that, that we're, we cannot we cannot in any way play with that pornography. We we, we it's just, it's destruction. You must completely just give them over to complete destruction and show them no mercy. And it's amazing how, how many young people today, by the age of twelve, they've already seen ten thousand hours of pornography. That's just that's just shocking to me. It's like shocking. But what's the point of all this? The Lord is reminding his people that Jerusalem grew are not in righteous Abraham or Sarah, but in the pagan peoples of the land of Canaan. Do you see the point that God is trying to make? He's trying to bring his people back. And the first thing he reminds you, hey, I want to remind you that your father was an Amorite. Your mother was a Hittite. And you come from the land of the Canaanites. Huh? Yeah, that, that land. Oh, yeah. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, I do. Yes, you do. We have nothing to do with those people. Yes, you do. Your roots are there. Right? 
And it's clearly that they forgot. They began to forget where the Lord took them out of. Look at Psalm 106, verses 21 and 23. They forgot. They forgot from where they came. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things. Where? In the wilderness? Nope. Where? Egypt. Right? Wondrous works. Look at verse 22. Guess where? Where are wondrous works? In the land of what? Whose hand? Son of Noah, father of Canaan. You see how the, the Bible is just beautiful. It's just like, <laughs> checkmate. Checkmate. The land of Ham. Yes, that's Ham. Father of Canaan. Awesome deeds by the Lord Jesus. They forgot. They just forgot. It was a distant memory, right? Now, sometimes when we think of forget, we think of like, it's not in my memory no more. But the word forget in the Hebrew doesn't just mean I, it's no longer in my memory. It also means to ignore, to overlook, to be, to lose sight of its significance. Have you lost sight? of the significance of where the Lord brought you out of. Do you remember that you too, right, were born in human depravity? I don't care where you were born. I was born in human depravity. You were born in human depravity. Look, look at 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Peter 1.18. Knowing that you were ransomed, you were ransomed from what? Great ways? For what kind of ways? Futile, empty, vain, meaningless. You are ransomed from meaningless ways. Where do we get this from? We learned it ourselves. Where did we learn this from? Inherited from the forefathers. Right? We too come from the, we, we all, our origins are not that great either. Right? Our origins have their beginning in the land of darkness. Look, look at Colossians 1.13. Colossians, he has delivered us from the domain of what? Darkness. There was a time when we were under the domain of darkness. We were in spiritual, the land of Canaan. Right? We were there. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? I mean, I wonder sometimes, I think, have we forgotten where the Lord took us out of? I think in order to fully appreciate the covenant relationship, we have to remember we have to remember where the Lord took us out from, right? Look, look at Second Peter, Second Peter, um, chapter one, verses eight and nine. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. In other words, God wants these qualities—qualities qualities of faith, qualities of power, dignity, purity. God wants those qualities growing in us, not just having them, but increasing in us, right? They keep you from being ineffective. Un they keep you from just like, just kind of waltzing in, waltzing out, and being ineffective in the purposes of God. They keep you. But whoever lacks these qualities, whoever is not increasing, whoever is not adding to their faith, right, not adding all these things like Peter says in, in chapter 1, whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten, right, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Do you see how important 
And when we forget where we came from, your, your covenant love for Jesus Christ begins to diminish. Immediately. No two ways about it. You, you forget. We take for granted God's, co- God's grace. We take for granted what he's done for us. We're, we cease to be grateful. We cease to be thankful. We cease to, we, we come in, we have nothing to say, right? We, but when you remember where you came from, you have a lot to say, beginning with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for another moment. Thank you for another day that you've upheld me. Have you forgotten your origins apart from Christ? We are commanded by God to remember the land of our origins. Did you know that? Do you know that God commands you to remember the land of Ham? God tells you, remember. Don't forget. Keep it in the in your in, in, keep it in your sight where you came from. Look at look at Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. Remember. Say all that together. Say it louder. It's a command. It's an imperative. Remember, remember that you were, uh, what, saved? No. Yeah, you got to remember that. That's not what Peter's saying. Remember that you were at that time, how, what? What were you at that time? From whom? From Christ. Remember, don't forget that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember that. I'm trying to stir up your memory. Do you remember how you guys were? I remember. I was there with parties and banquets and things like that. Remember what it was like? How many and, and, and guys have been right? go clubbing and you're like depressed? Give me give me more marijuana. <laughs> give me more drinks, right? Do you remember those days? Right? And I would go. I would go home. I'd be like, "Life." Do you remember? I remember. out from right if we're going to recover this love affair with Jesus Christ it's going to start by remembering the Lord came to Israel and said let's read it again Ezekiel 16 your origin thus says the Lord God verse 3 your origin and your birth and God is speaking to some of you today right now that maybe you've lost your first love maybe you're complaining. Maybe you, he's, t- he's telling you, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. The first step in the restoring of the covenant relationship is to be reminded of our origins. Don't forget. When we remember our origins apart from Christ, why, why does God does this? Why does God want you to remember your origins? 
what is the point? Because the moment you remember that all the magistrates have contrasted with where you are at now and where you were, right? It creates a contrast. A contrast that God wants you to see. God wants you to see. Look at where you were before you knew me. And look at you now. You've taken this for granted. You're taking now for granted. So in order to help you not to take for granted, I'm reminding you where you were when you were in that club, when you were in those awful relationships, right? I'm reminding you that you are miserable and you drank yourself to sleep and you cried yourself to sleep and you're so empty. I, I need to remind yourself because you don't do that no more. Now in the midst of your problems, and yet life is hard, but you're not there. You're not doing all that garbage, meaningless activity. It creates a contrast in our minds that sets us free from apathy, indifference. Amen? You know, there was a, a survey of pastors. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up there. There was a survey of pastors that said, 75% of pastors said that apathy, the lack of desire, the lack of motivation, the lack of commitment was the greatest need in their churches. 75%. I think the, the percentage is actually much higher. But 75%. These are life, this is a life weight study, so they're not, they're not interviewing like pastors from like, you know, United Methodist Church, right? It's like very liberal. But they're, they're, they're interviewing pastors that are primarily gospel-centric. And they're saying, our biggest problem is that people just have apathy. There's no fire burning in them. There's no joy. There's no commitment. I've heard pastors that have had to cancel church because they just lost heart. I believe that the source of the apathy is relational apathy. You, you lose sight of where we came from, right? And spiritual apathy is a very serious condition. But the healing begins as soon as we begin to remember that we were at that time separated from God. And I'm trying to remind you, God has done a great work in all of you. If you put your life in Jesus Christ, you put your faith in him, God has done an amazing thing. I don't care how you feel right now. He's taking you out of the land of comfort. He's taking you out. And he and yeah, life, our life is hard now. I'm not saying that we're in heaven. I'm not saying that we're not even in the, in the Abraham's bosom. <laughs> we're, we're, we're on earth and we're struggling. But you know what? The contrast is awesome. He has rescued us from darkness. He has rescued us. He has sustained us over these years. And our lives are not what they used to be. And so let's give him praise. Let's give him thanks. Don't let the problems of this world to be the main thing that dictate your relationship with God. Let what God has what God has done in the past, let that inform your present. Amen? I'll finish with this verse. Ephesians 2.13. This is an encouragement. This is the other side of the contrast. Ephesians 2.13. That's the contrast. Right? Let's go back to verse 12. At that time.
verse 13. But, but what? Now. That's a good word. But, now. See the contrast? See the contrast? At that time, ugh, separate without God, without hope, lost. But, now, in Christ Jesus, you who were, who once were, what? Far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? That's the beautiful contrast that God wants to impress upon our hearts today. You were brought near now. Amen? Now, if that is true, what should be the only reasonable response for salvation? Living, praying, love, right? Right? There's no other, right? If that is true, apathy, ooh, no way. <laughs> apathy, indifference, carelessness, ingratitude, no way. No, if that is true, it compels us to praise God, compels us to give thanks, compels us. And you can live that every day of your life. You don't have to wait till Sunday. Every day, you can read to yourself Ephesians 2.13. But now, in Christ Jesus, I was once far off, but now I've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Every day, that is true. Every day, we can praise God and give God thanks. Amen? Let's pray. Abby, when you come up. Father, we thank you, Lord, for a reminder, a reminder. You want to stir up our lust and desire. And some of us have forgotten. We have taken for granted, Lord. We have taken for granted what you have done in our lives. And we have forgotten God. We have forgotten God and the wondrous work that you did in the land of Canaan. And so our lives reflect that work just spoken. Our lives, we, they praise you, our mouths shut. Lord, there's no passion for your great name. And so I come to you this evening. And perhaps there are some here that don't have a passion. I don't know. There might be some that you have not yet descended out of the land of Canaan. Maybe they remain and have always remained in the land of Canaan. But I believe that if you're, they're here today, I believe that you want to, you're fighting, you want to do a work in their life. But I believe that for most of us, God, you did rescue them out of the land of Canaan. And now I pray that you will remind us, remind us, Lest I forget your death. So I pray at this moment that we would um, just bar our hearts. We would not be in any rush, Lord. But we would we'll take these first few minutes as we sing the song. And we would remember, we would remember Jesus and ignite in us a love, a passion for your great name. Why don't we stand? We're gonna